Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit robblack.com. Robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Take a look at the calendar. Friday is the last trading day of the quarter. And the last trading day of the first half of the year. And the last trading day of the month. It's a weird time because it's one of those triple expirations on options. It's also a rebalancing on portfolios by mutual fund managers where they kind of want to look smart. The markets had a great rally in the first half of the year. There's no reason for the NASDAQ to go higher. It's up 30% year to date. It looks extended because it's being run by seven big tech company names. It's being run up by seven big tech company names, all with the undertie of they make a lot of money. They have a lot of cash and artificial intelligence. On occasion, you want them to pause and reflect. You don't want things to go up forever straight. It's just not healthy. The Dow snapped its seven-day losing streak yesterday, and all three indices powered higher after the release of a strong batch of economic data. Consumer confidence shot up to its highest level since January of 2022. Delta was a big winner, saying demand is off the hook. It's huge. CEO actually said it's off the chain, but I don't know if that's the right phrase. I changed it to hook. Um, and yet, Walgreens said, eh, demand's not that great. Now, Walgreens is is playing off last year where Rob got, yep, another booster shot at the end of the year. I got COVID last year in uh, June as kids were graduating out of um, elementary school and doing parties with everyone. So all that time, I, I hid from it, I hid from it, I hid from it. Then I finally got it when people started hanging out again together. And uh, I won't. I don't think I'll get a booster shot this year. I don't think I'll get a COVID shot this year. That's the problem with Walgreens right now. Because last year they had people coming in and knocking on their door like, hey, can you give me a shot? So Delta was a big winner yesterday. One of the most silly stories I've done recently is Airbnb is listing a real-life Barbie Malibu dream house hosted by Ken. It's only available for two one-night stays, but if you're lucky enough to score one of them, it won't cost you a dime. Ken's thing is all about the beach. She's not so good at math. It's according to a press release. The dream house rental is yet another viral marketing stunt for the upcoming Barbie movie. That's kind of silly, is it not? Now, listen to this, though. <clears throat> More adults are redecorating their homes in Barbie core, which is a palette made up primarily of hot pink. And similarly, bold, rosy hues. According to the Times, searches for Barbie aesthetic bedroom on Pinterest jumped 1,135%. Xbox is making a Barbie-themed console. 
where it's probably going to be pink. Aldo is collaborating with Barbie on pink shoes and accessories. For amateur designers, Ruggable has a line of Barbie rugs and doormats. What is up here? If you were ever to ask me, do I predict this? The answer would be no, because in the last 10, 15 years of doing the show for 25 years, I've said things like I wouldn't buy Mattel stock because of Barbie. Young women today don't want their daughters to be super strong, super big legs. And uh, how shall we say on the busty side, who buys a lot of clothes? They'd rather their daughters be Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Sally Ride the astronaut. So I guess I was wrong to a point that I guess, well, I guess on one hand, parents aren't letting their kids play with Barbies or they're not as much. They're using iPads and Xboxes. But on the other hand, parents want to take their kid to see the movie because it's going to be throwback. It's going to be what did we do? Now, here's the thing with Barbie. Barbie's going to go. So I wouldn't buy. I won't buy Barbie stock. If I had if I had to and I don't have to, I'd buy Hasbro because they get the marketing relationships with things like Star Wars, which turn into collectibles. Barbie, not only is Barbie being released on July 21, but so is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. An epic about the development of the atomic bomb. How's that for a double feature? See Barbie uh, for the first movie and second movie you stay for is uh, the the invention of the nuclear bomb. Now, it's going to be interesting because Oppenheimer is done by Christopher Nolan, who has turned into one of the top five filmmakers. Uh, if you want to see something crazy on the screen that you've never seen before, this is the guy who does it. But a lot like the Titanic with James Cameron, people kind of know how it ends. And it is a weapon of mass destruction. Will that be a deal breaker for people? I bet not. But who knew I could talk for five minutes about Barbie? And for the record, if I came home and my house is decorated in pink, I would retch. Spirits company Diageo broke off ties with Sean Diddy Combs after Combs sued it last month. In the lawsuit, the rapper and business mogul claimed that Diageo underpromoted his liquor brands, Ciroc Vodka and De Lyon Tequila, while hyping other celebrity spirits brands in its portfolio, such as George Clooney's Casa Amigos Tequila. Diddy also accused Diageo of racial discrimination, claiming the company considered De Lyon, a black brand, to be marketed to urban customers. Wow. Talking about making a, a contractual relationship with a partner and it just being burnt to the ground on both sides. This one's over. Chicago's got Chicago, Chicago. I'd like a Chicago Kebby game. Worst air quality in the world. They're getting Canada's wildfires, but they're also getting a heat dome in the United States, which is making the air even grosser. The smoke from Quebec's fires has even wafted. It's wafted over the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Portugal, Spain, France, and other European countries. That's crazy, is it not? United Airlines. I have a friend stuck in Boston for two days because tens of thousands of U.S. flights have been delayed or canceled over the past several days, causing one of the worst stretches for air passengers this year. You know, I've only had one time, one time in my life where... I got caught up in 
you know, the crazy cancellations. And I got lucky because I heard about it potentially happening the night before. I was like, we're going to the airport at four in the morning. The FAA, frankly, failed us this weekend. CEO of United said airlines are biting their nails ahead of a 4th of July air travel weekend that could top 2019 levels. Interesting, is it not? Lordstown electric vehicle maker yesterday filed for bankruptcy protection. Um, not everyone's going to be the next Tesla. And I only say that because I know some of the listeners right now bought Lordstown thinking that's a cool looking truck. That's way more stylish than Tesla trucks or I don't know. I'm not going to knock Tesla Cybertruck, but any of my kind of thing. The Lordstown EV didn't look pretty good. It was very, very Batman-esque. But it came public in a SPAC. Now, SPACs came around 2020, 2021, when companies didn't have the ability to really go to Wall Street and raise money. So they basically, uh, SPAC is a company who has $100 million and doesn't know what to do with it until somebody says, what should I buy? I don't like SPACs because you're investing in a company that doesn't know what they're going to buy in theory. My spouse got violently upset yesterday when I told her Ryan Seacrest is taking over for Wheel of Fortune. I'm okay with it. He seems to be the most bland person on the planet, so you're not going to offend Republicans or Democrats or people from Michigan or Florida or California. Seacrest is inheriting a wheel that is still spinning after 48 years on the air. At its peak in the 1980s, listen to this crazy Wheel of Fortune brought in 40 million nightly viewers. And all those numbers have dropped off significantly. It still averages about 8.6 million. It's not it's not something to throw away. Now, Seacrest skyrocketed to fame by interviewing pop star wannabes on American Idol. He does his own version of New Year's Eve. He DJ uh, like uh, kind of like a Dick Clark New Year's Eve with Ryan Seacrest kind of thing. He DJs multiple radio shows. He's gabbed on TV with Kelly Ripa for six years, which he just left. Being a prime time game show host is one of the most enviable jobs in Hollywood because it provides stability, big paychecks, and you only work a few days of the month. One. Meanwhile, Vanna White, who was rumored to be on the successor list, We'll stay on when Seacrest takes over, but she's aggressively negotiating her first pay raise in 18 years. Wow. Just thought I'd throw all that out there for you. What else is there that we have to hit today? Um, policy views are going to be on Wall Street. Stock market has put together a good day. 30. A little bit of a snapback rally with mega cap stocks. But NVIDIA and chip stocks are the center of attention following the U.S. is considered imposing more restrictions on AI chip exports to China. NVIDIA, the heavyweight of the bunch, is down today on that news because of economic policy out of the White House. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Hopes for a strong box office summer are starting to fade. I'll do this real quick and then we'll get to our guest, Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. 
But the Temple of Doom is kind of the app nickname right now for U.S. movie theaters. They're not getting back to pre-pandemic levels. And Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny looks to open around 60 million. Oh. Um, the previous movie in the franchise, it's 2008 predecessor. So it's a tough year for movie theaters and the stocks are down. Cinemark's down 15%. IMAX down five, 7%. Um, it's just not getting back to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, so far where we are this year versus pre-pandemic 2019 is 31% below. So don't be betting on the reopening of movie theaters hitting the pre-pandemic levels, but airlines are certainly flying high right now. Speaking of flying high, the one, the only Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Any big summertime plans for you? Um, well, it's kind of more a little of this and a little of that. Uh, okay. Lots of uh, camps to get people to and from. <laughs> so uh, kind of low key right now. Um, I'm not going to say any details, but I saw something that your daughter participated in on a world level. And it's pretty darn cool. Um, it's on Facebook. And so I'm not stalking you. Um, anyhow, in any way, <laughs> is there a, something there, though? Like when I ask you, what are you doing this summer? Should we sell now that it's July almost now that the first half's over? Gains have been booked in the NASDAQ. Gains have been booked in the S&P 500. Or maybe should we shift to the underperformers, small caps, healthcare, utilities? Well, yeah, I think it's a it's a little more of the latter. Um, I think okay. uh, by all accounts, the the, the market cap weighted S and P five hundred has done far better than anyone uh, or than most people, I should say, anticipated coming into the year. We've, we've discussed this obviously a number of times, but of course, mm-hmm. you've had the influence of these mega cap stocks that have just been uh, you know crowd favorites because you know they. In an environment where we all talked about the likelihood of there being a recession this year and slowing growth, um, and you know, still working off some of the excess valuations that uh, occurred during the the bubbly phase when rates were at zero, um, you know, they've been they've been crowd favorites because there are these quality names with strong balance sheets, uh, great cash flow generation, and and uh, industry leading positions. So. So quality has benefited uh, clearly at the um, uh, early, you know in the first half of 2023, uh, but probably you know even more so than than is deserved uh, arguably, um, and so that's left a lot of other stocks trailing. But you know as we continue to see uh, economic data that shows uh, some slowing, but not necessarily a you know a hard landing. Um, it does present an opportunity we think for some rotation into some of those names that kind of. Have, have trailed this move and would be set up better for, you know, a, an environment where this worst case recession scenario does not unfold. Uh, but that is kind of the big out, you know, boogeyman out there is uh, we just heard from Fed Chair Powell this morning who has said that, you know, policy is restrictive, but it hasn't been restrictive for long enough. Uh, and he thinks that, you know, you're still going to see some of the impact of that, you know, the lag and uh, long and variable lags of prior rate hikes. Um, but to be fair, I do have to note that he also said that in his view, a recession is not the most likely case, even though it's a possibility. So everyone's going to kind of be waiting and seeing how the economy evolves here in the second half of the year. But we would suggest anyway that, um, 
the uh, the so-called easy money of this rally has probably been made. And then even if we don't sell off in the latter half of the year, uh, we would think that you know the the, the path ahead is going to be a little more uh, challenging, and you'll see some some more headwinds in terms of trying to log further upside here. And ask the question on. Um, this was a thing 25 years ago when I started in the industry, and I don't know if it still is. And then let's see if you th- think it is. End of the quarter, end of the first half of the year. Yeah. Our portfolio managers re- really repositioned themselves in the last two or three days of the quarter to make it look like they've owned Apple and NVIDIA and Tesla and all the big tech names that have been the outperformers for the first half of the year. So they can send out reports to clients saying, look what we own. And then maybe next week they start to sell them off again. Does that still happen, right. the whole repositioning thing and the yeah. options thing? Right, and you know what? It's also euphemistically referred to as window dressing. Yes, right? yes. So you can have those marketing materials that suggest that you have these, you know, these big winners in your portfolio. But you know, Rob, I would think that you know it happens maybe on the margin. Um, okay. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's happening to any like great extent. I think though, you you do have you know pension funds and the like that do that do adhere to you know. Um, obviously portfolio weightings and maintaining those weights. And so when you see a, you know, big run by stocks, like we've seen in the first half of the year, you know, you, you can see, you know, maybe the, the, the weighting in that portfolio has gotten overweighted too much towards stocks and maybe underweighted more so toward bonds. And so you just, you do get that rebalancing that does happen. I mean, that, that does happen, you know, to the extent of there being actual window dressing, just so, you know, a fund manager can say, Hey, look, look, I had Apple and NVIDIA this quarter. Um, I'm not not so sure that that happens to uh, to any great extent. What else are you working on that we need to be aware of? Because I've asked you two kind of raw black questions. <laughs> well, this this week um, I'm taking actually a hiatus from the big picture column. Has some other uh, work obligations that are going to interrupt uh, my ability to produce that column, which I normally publish on Friday. Uh, so that next update will come you know, following the Fourth of July holiday. Um, so just, you know, working through, see, waiting to see what we get out of the personal income and spending report, uh, on Friday that contains the all important PCE price index, you know, that's the feds preferred inflation gauge. Um, and so that's going to be watched closely to get uh, a little more insight, you know, as to, uh, what type of, uh, path we'll see for the fed here over the, the latter half of the year. And certainly in the very near term, you know, right now the expectation is that we will see another 25 basis points in July. Um, but something else, you know, the fed chair said today, just kind of, um, you know, a warning of sorts that, you know, while the fed is not pre-committed to any decision, uh, he wanted to make the market aware, however, that, uh, you know, you should not necessarily take the possibility of there being consecutive, you know, rate hikes off the table, meaning if we get one in July, it's possible you can get another one in September, you know. Um, so I think you still have a Fed that's leaning hawkish uh, because inflation in its eyes is still too high, even though it has come down. Uh, but it's not convinced that it's going to come down quickly to that 2% target. So we have to watch these inflation reports very carefully uh, in coming weeks and months, uh, because that will help uh, certainly drive the market's expectations for where policy is headed and whether uh, it might end up being even more hawkish than what the market currently expects. So right now the market looks at one more rate hike in July and the, and for the Fed basically to be done. 
Um, and uh, the signaling from Fed Chair Powell, anyway, is, is, is not so uh, quiescent on that front. It's, you know, kind of more of a just, you know, we're not convinced yet that we can just do one more rate hike and be done. Uh, and so that will help, obviously, influence the market's behavior in the second half of the year as well. You know, many people are still predicting a recession. Many people are still predicting lingering effects from the rate hikes. And I think the most sobering thing is the Fed may not cut interest rates. I think the European Central Bank said for two years, don't expect to cut for two years. So it'll, it seems like they want rates higher longer, uh, both on uh, the European side of the fence as well as the United States. Did you hear Ron Barron say something fascinating yesterday? And I, I want to share this with you because uh, uh, stock guy to stock guy or money guy to money guy. He said the on CNBC that the Dow could surpass 900,000 in 50 years if it just grows at 7% a year. I think it's a great headline and it should like tell my kids, keep investing, keep believing because he's a billionaire, 900,000 in 50 years. What do you think about a, a big number like that? <laughs> well, it, it, it's hard to envision, but yep. um, but I think that the sentiment in the, uh, is correct. I mean, you know, we don't, you know, if you look at kind of where things were in 1950, right, you know, 1960, 1970, right, uh, anyone who's, you know, been able to hold out and, you know, remain invested in the stock market over the long haul like that has come out ahead. Uh, it's been a great wealth generating machine. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to suggest that we could get there with some, you know, relatively modest, all things considered, 7% gain is, is seems doable. Um, you know, uh, but the target itself is, is hard to hard to fathom right now. <laughs> but um, but the history of the stock market is on the long term investor side, so it's, I like what he's implying here. He said something also pretty interesting. He said that because of inflation, companies will raise their prices, and companies like Coca Cola will make more money from the price increases than they did ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. I just thought it was pretty intelligent theory, and um, I wanted to share that with you. Um, we've got less than a minute. Any last thoughts? Well, you know, like I think kind of driving along the lines of what we're saying, if they're you know, going to make more money from the price increases than they have, but I think we've seen here through this earnings cycle is that the latest earnings cycle is that, you know, companies have some pretty good levers to pull in terms of trying to keep costs under control uh, without killing uh, demand through those price increases. And that is a byproduct, though, of this strong labor market we've been seeing. So, that's something that, again, they watch very closely because the, the strength of the labor market is key to the uh, economy skirting a recession or, or managing its way through these rate hikes and coming out okay on the other side of it. You are the best. I appreciate it. Um, let me know if you're going to be on next Wednesday, July 5th. If you are, great. If not, have a good time with your family over 4th of July. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. He is the one, the only with briefing.com, Patrick O'Hare. I start my day every day with his page one article and i end my week with his big picture although he's taking this week off which is interesting to note i'll have to find something else to end my week with find them at briefing.com that's briefing.com this interview featured on the rob black show is brought to you by ep wealth learn more at robblack.com i'm rob black talking all things financial money investing more stats facts figures whatever i can throw out there for you um, I try to find stories that you will find interesting. Like I turned the July 15 premiere of Barbie into how big of a business it is for retailers and how I stay away from the stock. 
cool that you could invest in Mattel, though, right? And maybe it does have a little bit of a push. Maybe uh, after the movie comes out, a lot of girls will, I want a Barbie. I would think there's a better chance of that happening with like an Apple App Store, but you hear where I'm coming. So crypto got a good uh, ally this week with Fidelity. That's a big one. The giant asset manager is reportedly preparing to file an application for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Fidelity follows in the footsteps of BlackRock, which filed its own application earlier this month. Um, that is very good news for Bitcoin. So I'm a wealthy dude and I have an account with Fidelity and Fidelity wants to keep all of my money. Um, let's call it $10 million. And I go, well, I'm going to put a million of money into digital currencies and Bitcoin. But Fidelity can't help me, so I'm going to put that in another company, maybe Coinbase, right? Fidelity's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We have a product for you. And there I keep it all at Fidelity. That's why they're doing it. They're not saying we believe the future is great. They're not saying we believe the future is awful. They're not saying we think this is going to be all that in a bucket of chicken. They're saying customer demand is there. It's worthy of note. When Fidelity steps in, it legitimizes things. Will they get approval? Um, I, I bet it will. Yesterday, we learned that billionaire businessman and J.P. Morgan board member James Jim Crown has died. He's the grandson of an industrialist, Henry Crown, and theater and hotel magnate Junius Shine died in a racing crash in Aspen, Colorado. Um, I think the financial angle that I want to throw out there is let's hope he's got a pretty good trust because when you die as a billionaire, you want to pass your assets down intelligently. I'm sure he has a pretty good trust, by the way, because he was 70. But it's a lesson to you. Um, there's not a day I don't get in my car thinking I could die. My brother David did me a wrong when I was 15 years old. He goes, when you get a driver's license job, it's a license to die. And he was just trying to scare me to say, you know, between ages 16 and 21, when you're driving, you might make a mistake and hurt yourself or someone else. It stuck. So estate plan is something you should work with on with your financial planner so that you can pass your wealth on to your children intelligently. There's another story that I'm seeing out there um, that's pretty interesting that ties into financial planners. Everywhere you look right now, people seem to be taking advantage of private credit markets. Investment firms are stepping up their lending game as big banks pull back. It's only natural that Hollywood would want in on that action, but this time it's not looking to create a movie or a TV show. Instead, it's going to be a customer. Private credit assets under management and media grew to nearly $80 billion in mid-2022, some $31 billion in 2018. Um, Rita Alexander and Rebecca Ungario, uh, they're doing a little bit of reporting that media, entertainment, and sports industries have started leaning heavily on non-bank lenders. Um, having access to private credit is something that financial planners, um, if they're a big enough firm, they're able to do. I'm really proud that I'm associated with EP Wealth for 22 years. Let's see, was it 96? For 24 years, uh, 
CFP Chad Merchant and myself put together a firm that we were never ever able to build as robust a product pipeline of services that EP Wealth has been able to do. Um, it's really, really important that you work with a financial planner once you get north of one million, one and a half million dollars, because you get access to so many more things. Um, and it's how you create wealth and it's how you maintain wealth. For me being able to go with a private credit lender and give them, Hey, what would you do with a hundred thousand dollars? And they'll, they'll pull together, you know, 10 of those and they'll say, okay, we got a million dollars. Maybe we finance the Barbie movie. Now I'm using small numbers so that it's digestible and easy to get through, but you get the idea. Um, it's pretty interesting. Private credit, private lending, private debt, uh, private real estate deals. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Uh, let's keep moving on. First, there was quiet quitting. Now there's what's referred to as grumpy stain. <clears throat> the job market has cooled off a little bit. <clears throat> more companies are issuing return office mandates. Some employees feel compelled to get louder about their dissatisfaction. I've seen two polls come out, one from Microsoft and one from Salesforce, and it's not good. An internal poll obtained found that less than four, half, less than half, 47% of surveyed employees would stay with the firm if they got a comparable offer down the road, down from 70% in November. People are grumpy. At Salesforce, a poll found that just 34% of respondents said the firm does a good job of retention and 37% felt secure in their long-term futures. 50% of respondents said there was a climate of trust, which means 50% are saying there isn't a climate of trust. There's something that we are starting to hear called loud quitting. Loud quitters are actively disengaged. Um, rather than putting in minimum work, they actually directly harm their firms. Uh, grumpy stain is a new term to me where workers don't have the leverage to quit and some aren't too pleased about staying. It shows how employers have to some degree flipped the switch on the workers and taken back some of the power that they lost during the great resignation. And when the government started sending out trillions of dollars in support money, understanding labor is important. If you're going to find success or failure in picking stocks. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth Certified Financial Planners online at robblackshow.com. Amazon's autonomous vehicle business has started operating driverless robo-taxis on the street of Las Vegas and a step towards its goal of eventually carrying paying passengers. Zooks began shuttling its employees on a one-mile stretch of public roads around the company's Nevada office June 16th, according to an announcement on its website yesterday. The vehicle has no steering wheel. It's got inward-facing seats and no pedals. It can carry four people and travel up to 35 miles an hour. Okay. Um, I like that a lot more than thinking about a robo-taxi actually delivering you to a casino. 
as a man who takes his family to Vegas on occasion for shows. When you take a cab or a Uber to a casino, it's a mess. I could not imagine that they're going to be able to pull that off for a long period of time, especially with drunk people coming out of casinos and like stepping in front of it. Hey, let's go. Let's go mess with a robo taxi. I just mentioned I have kids. Um, I've recently mentioned my kid's name on air. It was almost a slip. At my recent pints and portfolio event, someone said, hey, your two kids are named da-da-da and da-da-da. I was like, dang. I've got some listeners who listen a little bit too closely. Please don't ever tell me my kids' names. It's kind of creepy. Um, I know I said it out loud, and I, I it's my fault. Um, but for the first 10 years of their life, I didn't even tell you they're alive. Um, for that reason. Um, with that said, I get it. I, I, I overshare on the show. Now, let's talk about how parents can help kids be first-time homebuyers. This is something that I will have to be just something I will do myself at some point. Um, because I think it's going to be tougher for my kids to financially succeed the way I did. I know that's not putting a lot of faith in them, but I just think it's a tougher economy. I grew up in the first computer revolution. Uh, no, the internet revolution is probably the right way of saying that because we had already had Dell computers in such situations and the internet really helps me break into this industry. I've been doing a, a live podcast now for 25 years. I did it with CNET uh, before we called them podcasts. You had to go to the, the site and download it. Streaming wasn't a concept yet. And it would take you five to 10 minutes to download a one hour show, but you could do it. And there was, you could listen online but you couldn't listen on your phone. So you'd have to go to a website. So college graduation season just passed. And one of my neighbors from San Carlos's daughter um, just finished college and she's going on to another degree. And she sent out a graduation notice. And it's funny because I've known her since she was, you know, third grade. And I used to think, I wonder if she's going to grow up to be pretty or not. I wonder, like, I've got, I guess, a, a one track mind that's not healthy. She grew up to be quite pretty and quite the young lady. Um, and her teaching credentials are impressive. Um, she's wanting to work with students with disabilities. And I think that's going to be a well-paying job for the long-term future. So kind of proud to see that. So we're in graduation season. That got me thinking, like, I wonder if I'm going to have to help my kids pay for a house when they graduate. You can lend money to your kids if you want to help. There's four ways that I could think of. You can lend them the money as an intra-family loan, essentially acting as your children's bank and lend them the money, the so-called intra-family loan. Uh, you service as the lender. You can alleviate the burden of them having to meet certain asset and income requirements that banks will typically make you do, credit scores. In order to avoid gift tax implications, parents should formalize the loan with a promissory note and charge a minimum interest rate. Right now, if you want to lend money to your kids so they can buy a home, if they're paying you back like a down payment over three years, you have to charge them 4.4%. Midterm, if they're paying you back over three to nine years, 3.5%. Long-term, 3.7%. It's probably not something you typically think about, is it? 
Another way you can get money to your children to help them with buying a home is you can use an intrafamily loan. Um, a borrower on a mortgage who does not put down 20% down payment would likely be required to purchase mortgage insurance, which could be significantly depending, which could be a significant number, ultimately depending on a number of factors rather than the kid incurring that additional fee of mortgage insurance. You could use an interfamily loan to gap the difference for the down payment to get it up to 20%. Even if the child has adequate assets for the down payment, she may wish to retain some more cash on hand by using the interfamily loan to bridge the gap. The child can use the cash instead to make future mortgage payments as opposing to paying an insurance premium. You can give money as a gift. This sounds like the most obvious for people, right? Each year, you're allowed to gift your kids $17,000 per year. And if left unused, it, 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 it's, it's a good thing. In some cases, parents may wish to simply gift their children the money towards their home. The annual exclusion on gifting, an individual, an individual may give up to the annual gift tax exclusion of amount of any, to any individual without any tax consequences. I can give away $17,000 per year. And my wife can do it too. So between the two of us, we can gift $34,000, which is starting to get into down payment area. If you know they're in college as freshmen, you could say, well, if we do this, it's going to be $120,000 roughly, which is probably a down payment on most homes in America. Um, but you have to have the knowledge to do that. And you also have to have the, not, the assets to withstand that giving away a big chunk of your change so your kids can have a down payment on a house while you're still young is putting your retirement at risk in case you run out of money. I think the fourth best way of doing money for a child for down payment. Um, oh, and for the record, unlike the annual exclusion of $17,000 per parent, there's a lifetime gift exemption. It's cumulative from year to year and applies to all recipients. Under current law, the federal lifetime gift exemption is $12.92 million per person or $25 million for a married couple to each child. Where it gets kind of interesting, that's a lot of money. Um, I, I should be in that kind of ballpark. Um, it's worthy of note, but that's still a lot of money. You could also set up a trust for your kids that kicks out money every year for them. Or as I'm doing it, when they turn 25, 35, and 45, I don't want them to have all of their inheritance when they turn 25. I definitely don't want them to have a big chunk of money at 18. I want them to struggle from 18 to 25. Um, and if your child gets married, I can give money to my child. My wife can give money to my child. So that's 34000 I can give money to his spouse. And I, my wife can give money to his spouse. So suddenly that 34000 turns into 68000 But I think the best way to do it is potentially co-signing a loan, depending on your financials, where you are. But that gets kind of tricky as well. There will, be, there will not be immediate monetary outlay from the parent. However, should the child fail to make timely payments, the parent could be contractually obligated on terms of the loan. I can't speak for all generations on how we plan financially. I really can't. And depending on where you were born, you may have different opinions as well. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. 
For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com.